0: You're listening to an ACR 2021 podcast, a compilation of reports, interviews, perspectives and panel discussions that feature the RoomNow faculty and noted experts. Hope you enjoy.
1: Hi, I'm David Liu for RoomNow uh, from ACR 21 and it's a real pleasure to have the GCAPMR panel back again. Uh, always have great conversations uh, with these three colleagues of mine and it's really delightful to be able to sit down at the end of ACI 21 at the end of a long meeting and have a chat about all that's um, great and good in GCA and PMR. So uh, by way of introduction I think these these three need no introduction but Len Calabrese from the Cleveland Clinic, Sarah Mackey from Leeds in the UK and Richard Conway of course a room now faculty and from Dublin in Ireland. Welcome to all three of you. David? Great. And so today, I think we've talked a little bit um, uh, uh, about everything that's been going on in GTA and PMI. And It's really amazing the therapeutic advances that we are seeing at the moment. You know, a few years ago, we were just talking about uh, looking at observational studies with um, clinics, um, trying out methotrexate and leflunomide, and seeing on the on the horizon. And now we've got a whole plethora of choices. So, uh, maybe actually, Len. I think you were keen to talk about the um, baricitinib, um the baricitinib GCA trial. That's abstract one three nine six. Yeah, yeah. That. Uh, so, I mean, uh, this is a
0: uh, open label study. So, you know, we, your knee jerk response is not to get too too revved up over this kind of stuff. But it's it's novel, and you know, this is done at the Mayo Clinic and. You know, Ken Warrington and Connie Wayand, and these guys know what they're doing. And so it, 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 it has gravitas uh, to me to begin with. This was presented very nice by a uh, young guy, Matthew Coster, who was a fellow, made a very nice presentation. So um, basically, they took G, uh, GCA patients um, who uh, had all relapsed. Relapsed um, within a six-week uh, period of time, and um, this uh, cohort of uh, 14 patients. So these are people that are treated with a standard of care, um, and um, these are problematic patients, and they are likely to relapse again. So they're randomized um, uh, to, uh, or, or they're they're not randomized. They're all placed on a regimen of uh, baricitinib um, at uh, a standard dose, four milligrams a day. And then over a period of time, ranging from 15 to 22 weeks, they got rid of the prednisone. So totally got rid of the prednisone. And if you're on 30 to 22 weeks, if you're on 10, 15 and 20, somewhere in between. And then the real acid test here, was that between the end of the prednisone and one year, uh, and that's up to, you know, 30 plus uh, weeks, uh, they remained on so what what happened to these people so the the bottom line uh, was is that uh, there was only a single flare so this is prednisone free remission from 15 weeks out not just in anybody with GCA like you know we're thinking of at trial. these are all re- demonstrated that they were relapsers and you know the the data are the data and so you know the big issue here is this is an older population and, you know, scary jack inhibitors now with all these warnings floating around the world. Um, in an older group, but it was uh, very well tolerated. There was really no significant toxicity uh, noted in this. The acute phase reactants controlled, and it was steroid free um, for a long time. So, you know, my take is that this merits, you know, uh, uh, you know, a more thorough and randomized approach to this, but, uh, I, I was impressed. You can treat, um, from that get go. Yeah.
1: I mean, were you, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, were you surprised by it all? I mean, um, I know that we'd been waiting for this, these data to come for a bit, but, but Barry and relapsing GCA have such good numbers and no ischemic symptoms. Was that kind of a, was that a little bit unexpected for you or do you think? I, was that- a, I mean, I, I was impressed. Uh,
0: I mean, you know, uh, this type of JAK inhibitor, all JAK inhibitors that we have at the present time, I mean, if you think about what's going on, you know, okay. you, you know gamma interferon, uh, IL-21, GMCSF, I mean, they're all nailed by this, uh, uh, you know. Um, so IL-6, um, you know, why not? This is begging to be done. These are all the leading candidates for therapy. So let's just, you know, use the Malius Maleficarum on them and and smacked them down.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, well, Richard or Sarah, do either of you have any thoughts? I mean, Richard, you've obviously. Um uh, I think in in some ways, OsteoKinemab uh, hit some of those same immunological uh, highlights, and that's that was uh, that was you kind of leading that study back in the day. Did this kind of resonate to you, and GCA? Yeah,
2: it's uh, it reminds me quite a bit of our study, like sl- slightly different population and design, but yeah, very positive results in an open label fashion. I, I really hope they don't run into the same next problem that we did and not be able to get anything more further off the ground, mm-hmm. and that that the general uh, fear over Jack inhibitors in these vulnerable populations does not uh, put a stop on things. Um, but I think yeah, Jack inhibitors make, in many ways make the most sense of anything to target because you're, you're targeting multiple different cytokines in the GCA pathogenic uh, process. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about, because I mean, um, I think you were particularly interested in the late-breaking uh, titane uh, study, looking at uh in uh, that was late-breaking abstract number 19 and the late-breaking um, oral abstracts, uh, looking at that phase two secukinumab study, uh, which was also, I think uh, a lot of people were saying was pretty impressive as well.
2: Yeah, no, I think, I think it's great. We've got multiple different um, agents being investigated for GCA, which I think we really need. There's this kind of general attitude when tocilizumab came that, oh, this was the end of it, and we had an agent that worked. We didn't really need anything else, but that's manifestly untrue. It doesn't work for everyone's people who can't go on it. We've had all these problems with shortages as well. We weren't able to give people tocilizumab for, for quite a while there because we couldn't get any. Um, so it's great that we're looking at new agents. Cicokinumab, uh, targeting interleukin-17, so again, go, going back to our, our own study, the TH17 cells making interleukin-17 are an important part of GCA pathogenesis, so it makes sense that it would potentially work. Uh, this was a double-blind, randomized control trial, uh, phase two, uh, so relatively small, 52 patients um, in it, um, but very, very positive um, outcomes. So um, at week 28, I think it was um, 80% in um sustained remission with second kinemap compared to 20 percent with with placebo with corticoids alone um and at week 52 i think it was 59 versus eight percent so they're really good numbers they're not quite as good as the, the phase two tocilizumab trial um but they're almost there so to me it's looking like like maybe this could be almost on a par with tocilizumab we absolutely need to wait for that phase three uh study which uh Will be done um, and see if that's as positive. No unexpected safety signals in this in the cedar, which is which is encouraging.
1: Yeah, Sarah, did that surprise you? I mean, that's in many ways. Uh, um, I think that uh, a lot of um, people had been slightly surprised by the starting to utilise second in this context, but probably isn't that much of a surprise for um, those who have thought a little bit about GCA.
3: Well, I guess it's, um, you know, that what I'm surprised about is that for so long we've all assumed that steroids is the only thing that works for giant cell arthritis and that it's this magic disease that responds to no other medications. You know, oh, DMARDs, biologic DMARDs, conventional synthetic DMARDs. You know, why do they work? You know, why, why should we try them in giant cell arthritis? We should just give them steroids. And I think it comes from the exquisite response to prednisolone at disease at the start the disease so we're all fooled into thinking that that sorts out the disease and that that makes everyone better that we don't need anything else but I think GIACTA shows us that actually biologics do have a role and so now lo and behold all these additional medications that we all assumed were only for other autoimmune diseases and not vaginal arthritis funnily enough you we're know, we starting to see signals with across multiple different sort of pro-inflammatory pathways so maybe it's we should question you know how we've been looking at gca all these decades and start to see it a bit differently it's a proper waltonian disease and Mm -hmm. if you give sort of biologic therapies you know that it's not just IL six but it may well be other pathways as well that may help now of course caveats here this is a phase two study it's fairly small Mm -hmm. Um, there were a fair number of dropouts um which gives issues for potential bias occurring post-randomization um the analysis used bayesian analysis but including non-responder analysis which i do not fully understand um and is not detailed extensively in the abstract because of course it's a meeting abstract um but if you look at the trial protocol is um described um is now published and it doesn't describe the bayesian analysis in great detail in that either Uh, but it does say that they used a non-informative prior for the intervention arm but an informative prior for the non-intervention arm so so I'm not a Bayesian statistician but it seems that they're not treating the intervention and the placebo arm equally in their analysis so I just would like to know what's going on there um and the other funny thing of if you read the original if you read the protocol they were originally planned it to be a 28-week treatment um and then when they started recruiting um, somebody decided <laughs> they decided to switch it and to make it a 52 week study um, and to keep treating with the investigation investigation agent for a full year. So, um, because of that, so they kept the same primary outcome, but they added a new secondary outcome. And it's there was so there were some things that they might have done a little bit differently if they'd stop if right from the start they decided to do it um, with a with, with year. Um, but you know, they recruited ahead of time. They were fully recruited up by April 2020, having only started in 30, 30th of January 2019. So they did really, really well. Um, collection academic centers in, in Germany. And, um, you know, it's just very encouraging results. But I think we do have to wait for the phase three now to really confirm those findings because it is small numbers and you can just get these things just from your quirks of chance.
1: Mm, absolutely. Um, I mean, and we'll, it's always the kind of thing where we want, I mean, you've put <laughs> the value that you can get from looking through the the uh, archive log of clinicaltrials.gov to see the changes and <laughs> the, yeah. and how it's evolved. I'm sure it'll wash out of the paper, but I mean, oh, yeah. Speaking, yeah, yeah. Uh, Speaking of proven of proven um, uh, therapeut- therapeutics, though, I mean, obviously, and is are now our non steroid workhorse for GCA, but uh, it's hard to escape the steroid context, isn't it, Sarah? I mean, you are definitely an expert on this. Yeah.
3: So um, I think since the Gusto trial, there have you know there have been questions about how quickly can we can we stop the steroids? So with Gusto, they they had methyl methylpred and then steroid free after that with tocilizumab um and it didn't it didn't um get through its two stage design so they, it wasn't as good as they hoped it would be so this is an interesting study so this is the um abstract number 1413 which is an investigation investigator initiated trial um open label study single arm um in and led by Sebastian Unizoni and colleagues at Massachusetts general and they recruited 30 people with relapsing giant cell arteritis. Um, uh, no, 30 with giant cell arthritis. 13 were relapsing and the remainder were new onset. Um, and they treated them all with one year of tocilizumab and a taper of between 20 and 40 prednisolone going down to zero in eight weeks, which is shorter than Giacto and many of the other Biologic trials that we've seen you know, over the past few years, and actually only seven out of twenty-seven relapsed during the fifty-two week period, and the mean time to relapse was fifteen weeks, which is not bad. So yes, some patients relapse, but you know it's it's fewer than perhaps we we'd be we'd worried about, and so this is starting to define you know, how quickly can we withdraw prednisone in patients who we're treating with tocilizumab alongside. I guess one caveat for this is that they um, they excluded patients who had previously been treated with investigational agents for giant arthritis. But tocilizumab is not investigational, so the patients could have had tocilizumab previously, um, as long as it had worked, and they hadn't had to have it stopped due to lack of efficacy. So I guess um, it's. What, we, what would be really nice to see when, this full, when the full report comes out in, in, in a publication is to know a little bit more about the patients that went into this study, how many of them had previously had tocilizumab, was there a gap between their previous tocilizumab and entering the study, and actually they had CRP and ESR, the mean CRP ESR at baseline was fairly high, so they can't all have been treated by tocilizumab at baseline, um, so it'd be really nice to know a little bit more about the characteristics of those patients. Um, to really help understand the context of this but it is really encouraging for withdrawing prednisolone quite quickly in patients uh, where we are concerned about adverse effects of prednisolone in patients either with new onset or relapsing giant cell arthritis and again very small study open label uh, but um, for clinical practice it is encouraging.
1: Mm. I mean Len I remember this this time last year when we were sitting around with with the four of us talking a bit about gusto and um, I think I remember you saying that you would have been reluctant to recruit anyone into gusto. I think that's proven a uh, very, um, very fair and true. I think with the, with the course of time, how were you surprised that eight weeks was enough? I mean, compared to the 26 weeks of, of GACTA? I mean, it's kind of half full,
0: half empty. I mean, <laughs> it's not like people that aren't flaring there. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, it, it, if you look through all these studies that, I mean, there's, there's a, population of people that you know that either need glucocorticoids or need something that will, will really spare glucocorticoids this is kind of half and half
1: to me yeah. mm. absolutely uh richard i mean did you have any thoughts on kind of where the optimal uh, steroid dose sits i mean eight weeks does seem short and it doesn't necessarily seem like we've hit all the right buttons on this
2: It it does seem short, but I suppose it it brings home the point that we don't really know what we're doing with steroids in in this condition. We don't know how much to give, how long we need to give it for. And We've tended to go high for a long time because we're scared of the disease and we're not scared enough of the steroids. Uh, So I think it's great that we're looking at these these things about treatment duration and intensity. Um, And hopefully a bit more time, a bit more study, we can uh, find the sweet spot with steroids.
0: I mean, it's going to be interesting to know
2: whether – you know, patients
0: on biologics at one year and no glucocorticoids still have inflammation in their temporal arteries like steroid patients do. And, you know, it, 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 I mean, we don't have any clue about that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think we've obviously seen some data about PET-CT studies, but it's hard to know how that actually reflects to real genuine histopathology, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, the one, one I wanted to throw in at the end because the spare abstract at the end, because Len said we had to do this and I completely agree with him. Um, speaking of steroids and speaking about long steroid exposures. So PMR is still an un, unsolved disease as far as steroid sparing is concerned. Um, there's a little bit of promise and we, we saw, um, the PMR spare study, was abstract uh, 0507, which was a double blinded ICT um, looking at new polymyalgia patients, uh, 36 of them, and importantly, with an 11 week taper, which um, I think we've, we speak a lot at room now about how long PMR patients end up on steroid. And we promise them that it'll be over in a year, and it's, it, 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 it always takes longer than that and often uh, it's very hard to get them off it at all. But in this um, uh, sub-tocilizumab, looking at that for 16 weeks for placebo, and we saw this real steroid-sparing effect and big benefits. Did that surprise anyone? I mean, I guess in some ways it was a logical target, but um, did that excite anyone?
3: It just made me wonder whether we've just been over-treating PMR as well all these years. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> because if you look at the epidemiological data there's a substantial number of patients that come off prednisolone but in about three to four months without any problem without any flare and we've always said oh well maybe they don't really have pmr maybe the gps are just diagnosing them wrong but actually maybe they just do have pmr maybe there are some patients with pmr like in the placebo arm in this study you can stop prednisolone quite fast and they don't flare so perhaps a bit as with gca we've been treating prednisolone pmr with prednisolone for too big doses for too long in a subset, um, mm. but then there'll also be a subset who does tend to flare and is very, very hard to get off steroids. So I think there's much, much more diversity within this disease than we previously realised. And it makes it difficult to power clinical trials because I think fewer relapsed than here than I would have expected just from, you know, what we, how we, t- we tend to think about PMR. Mm.
1: I mean, Richard, Lynn, does this kind of ring true with uh, your experience with PMR? That's pretty short. (laughs) It's hard to argue with that. 11 weeks is a lot shorter than, say, a BSR protocol. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to see. I'm
0: sure they're trying to do some, you know, mechanical learning to figure out who these people are and what differentiates them and... You know, and it's also not that long a follow-up. I mean, I wonder what will happen. You know, a year down the road or something like that. And it, 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 but it's very, you know, I, I think these are the things that need to be done. It, it,
1: it's very cool. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there's an awful lot of promise that we've talked about today, and I think hopefully we'll see some of that step into reality. Very cool indeed. Well, thank you all three of you for joining us today for the PMR GCA panel. Uh, go down to roomnow.com for plenty more coverage on um, PMR, GCA, and the rest of the conference. See ya.